Good evening, everybody. This is Jeff J. Brown, China Rajamate of Sinoland in Normandy, France, on the beaches of D-Day. And I've got a wonderful guest on the show tonight for the second time, Mr. Bruce Lero. How are you doing, Bruce? I'm doing great. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I am too. You know, Bruce, we had Bruce on, I, I guess, uh, maybe a year, I don't know, in the last several months. And it was about the psychology. You know, the psychology of socialism, communism versus capitalism, right? And and in sp and in spite of the like sort of like you know, you know, sophisticated, you know, um, thinking. It actually it was it was incredibly popular, and tens of thousands of people watched it. So uh, we've been talking about having him on again, and. He just wrote a wonderful article in uh, on uh, on the Greenville Post about propaganda, and I said, "Well, is, why don't we go ahead and take care of, do this, and maybe we can come back later and do part two of your uh, of the psychology thing." So uh, let me tell you uh, about uh, uh, Bruce. Uh, he has taught for twenty five years as an adjunct college professor of psychology at Golden State University. Dominican University and Diablo Valley College. He has applied a Vigustigan, if I pronounce that right, socio-historical pr perspective to his book, books. And we talked about that, that, that psychologist in his um, in our first interview. And his books include four books from Earth Spirits to Sky Gods, the Socio-Ecological Origins of Monotheism, Individualism, and Hyper-Abstract Reading. This is not People Magazine, folks. <laughs> uh, the next book is Power of Eden, The Emergence the Emergence of Gender Hierarchies in the Ancient World, co-authored with Christopher Chase Dunn. This is not U.S. Day, US Day Today newspaper. Third book, Social Change, Globalization from the Stone Age to the Present. And the fourth book, uh, Lucifer's Labyrinth, individualism, hyper-abstract thinking, and the process of becoming civilized. So, wow. Anyway, he is also a representational artist specializing in pen and ink drawings. Bruce is a libertarian communist and lives in Olympia, Washington, with his lovely wife, Barbara McLean. Uh, and we've all become kind of friends uh, through through emails and um, and. Um, and and skype so uh i will have all of his website facebook twitter where you can buy his books as well as the reference to the article that i read and i want to share with you all today so thank you so much for being on bruce oh thank you so much for having me jeff i'm really looking forward to this we will let fans read bruce's excellent article about the 13 commandments of propaganda and its construction dissemination internalization uh, to get into the details, but there, he has a wonderful uh, uh, intro at the beginning, and I thought that would probably be the most um, um, uh, informative for the for the fans. And then, if they want to get into the details of uh, the of the thirteen uh, commandments, they can do that. And today, we'll so we'll look at the forest and not at the trees, with a broader overview of the subject about propaganda, and of course, with everything going on in the world today. Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, uh, Google, uh, and, and everything else, and the and the um, and the over the overarching national security state. Uh, it's very very relevant. Uh, today's article of discussion is a actually a follow up to a previous one entitled Jacques Ellul, 
Controversies and Propaganda. I will include that link. Please give us a brief introduction to Mr. Elul. And it's pronounced, it's it's written E-L-L-U-L. Go ahead. Okay. Um, what I thought I would do, Jeff, is just, uh, Elul was a um, sociologist and he wrote a, a, an astounding book in 1960 just called Propaganda. And um, I, I was amazed when I read the book at how timely it continues to be. I read that book about maybe 60 years after it was written, and it, it's an extraordinary book. So in introducing him, what I thought I would do is just say, give you some bullet points of like the things he said about propaganda that he thought were myths. In other words, uh, these are things people think about propaganda, but it's really not these things. Um, the first thing is he broadened propaganda to make it, it's not just political, it's also sociological. So he's he's broadening propaganda beyond uh, what the ruling classes are up to. And he says that there's a sociology to it. Um, and the sociology is what he calls slow propaganda, like the propaganda that comes with like education and religion. And mm -hmm. these are like long standing infrastructure for propaganda long before the political stuff comes in. Um, the second thing is that he makes he makes a distinction. I've also found this interesting between propaganda and agitation. And what he says is when the working classes try to organize, what they're doing is they're agitating. They're not using propaganda because propaganda is supposed to be only for the elites, the upper classes who have money. So um, I thought the inclusion of um, agitation was a good addition to think about working class organizing. Um, the, third, the third thing is um, he makes a big deal about when propaganda gets, gets the facts wrong, it's not good propaganda. He thinks what good propaganda is, is getting the facts right, but interpreting the facts in a twisted propagandist way. And I thought that was very interesting. Um, then um, the fourth thing that I think he's really good about is that he talks about um, that propaganda has to work on the existing beliefs of people. In other words, it can't sort of inject its own ideology into people's heads. It has to work with what people already believe. Um, and it's it's conservative that way. It tries to work with the stereotypes and the things that people already believe and try to twist them a little bit, but it doesn't come out of nowhere and try to present something mm. no one has ever heard of before. Um, then the last one uh, about Elu that I think is interesting, and he's not alone in this. He says it's it's... It's wrong to think that propaganda is trying to change people's minds. What he says is what propaganda really wants to do is to get people to act differently, to behave. And he's really, 
he really says propaganda is about moving people to do things. It's not about changing people's minds because changing people's minds is too difficult <laughs> for propaganda. So yeah. he, uh, anyway, so that's that's kind of an introduction to his work. He's a real maverick. Is he French? Because is he, as Jacques is spelled the French Jacques. Is he actually from France? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. And so the but the book was uh, was was either written in English or, or translated in English. Translated into English. I think. Okay. All right. Interesting. Maybe I could even read it in in in, uh, in French. Well, and one of the things that really I found rather interesting is he argued that propaganda served both the upper classes and the lower classes for different reasons and we always again as you think as we think we think of the 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 the, the controlling you know the controlling um aristocratic elites you know uh, using propaganda to manipulate the lower classes but you know how how can how can propaganda serve the lower classes and why and how okay so what i would say is what the ruling classes are up to is they're trying to convince middle class and upper middle class people around things like voting, things to get on board. So if you notice, I mean, to me, the people that are pro-Ukraine in the United States are primarily middle class Americans, upper middle class Americans. Uh, I don't think the working classes are really are really sold on this anti-war, anti-China, anti-Russia. But what Elieu says about the lower classes is that he, he goes deep into history and he says, you know, at the beginning of the 20th century, a lot of the things that the working class was used to, like, like having stable families, having stable communities, um, having uh, a, a stable village, he says all that was torn asunder. So what he says is a lot of the propaganda for the lower classes is to try to give them comfort to feel stable um. in situation. And so what he says is for the lower classes, um, uh, religion is very important because religion proposes a better life in the next world. And so their propaganda towards the lower classes is to try to give them comfort um, to sort of get out of the way. And Elul didn't say this, but what I would add to this is um, sports. I think sports is very important for working class people, largely because it gives people a sense that, you know, sports is very, it's very structured. It gives, it had, there's room for creativity in sports. And you sort of know at the end who won and who lost. And that's very important for people to have. And he, Elude would say people uh, in the lower classes are, are, are drowning in this ambiguity of like not knowing where things are going. And so sports is a kind of relief from that. And where it says, here's a place where you can root for a team, you have a little make-believe community, and um, you can you can go win and lose, but know why. And it, it dissolves a lot of ambiguity. So um, is that is that helpful to you? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if those uh, communities are make believe because I tell you, if uh, well, yeah. I grew up in Oklahoma, if you go to an Oklahoma yes. Sooner or Oklahoma State, yes. you know, football game or basketball game, it's it's a real community. I mean, it's really you know the incredibly uh, tight and a lot of camaraderie and a lot of and a lot of feeling of belonging and and uh, brotherhood as brotherhood as it were. It's, uh, uh, so. Um, uh, he mentioned he mentions two, and I can barely pronounce these two words. I know two propaganda techniques. Yeah, myth mythrodatisation, which actually sounds better in French, and sensibilisation, uh, and it's M I T H R I D A T I Z A T I O N, and then of course sens sensibilisation. Mm -hmm. Why? What are these two techniques, and can you please parse the two? Sure. Um, the first one, which I I uh, can't pronounce any better than you, uh, this is about um, cooling people out. It's about it's propaganda that get, that has this um, a, an effect of making people sedative, like like it's like a sedative, and it makes people relax and uh, not get too excited. The other one is the opposite. The sensibilization is where you wild people up. So, uh. so propaganda needs both the cooling out and the, you know, and the arousing as well. So, you know, if you go to, uh, if you go to any patriotic gathering, um, you're going to get the sensibilization because you're going to get people all riled up yeah. and songs, right? <clears throat> but then another kind is where you you basically tell people, um, and and this is something I want to bring up, Jeff. This is this was not one of the questions, but I think it's a really it's a really important part of the article that there's such a thing as bureaucratic propaganda, and Bureaucratic propaganda is designed to um, to cool people out, to also give them a sense that there really is no hope. This mm -hmm. is the way things are. And a really good example of that is like the statistics on um, COVID. Like when we were we were we were keeping track of COVID over the months or so, and and we saw how the statistics got more and more vague as the time went on. Mm -hmm. They really didn't want to keep track of this stuff. Um, another example of bureaucratic propaganda is um, the unemployment rate. You know, when I look mm -hmm. at economists say, uh, most of the economists I know generally will say the, the real unemployment rate when you factor in all the variables is about three times what in the United mm -hmm. States it is. So there's also inflation. They 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 give you numbers about inflation. It's bureaucratic propaganda. It's not again. Economists will say the rate of inflation is much higher. So the 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 sedative type of propaganda is often bureaucratic propaganda, which says there isn't anything you can do about yeah, it. Yeah, a sense of hopelessness and that's right powerlessness and. Apathy right. and 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 to to embed apathy and 
And um, so, uh, and not get up out of your chair, <laughs> not get up off your sofa. That's right. And uh, very interesting. He has another one, which I thought was interesting. He even mentions the Chinese communists. Uh, a horizontal propaganda, which was made, which was made inside the group, versus vertical propaganda, which uses centralized power. An example of horizontal prop- propaganda w- was the re-education groups of Yankee soldiers organized by the Chinese communists during Yankee imprisonment. Your thoughts, please. Yeah, um, what I thought was a really good example of what the Chinese did that was horizontal propaganda is it, it, they set up an essay question and they they told the soldiers that the best essay question will get some kind of reduced time. And so the purpose of the essay question was to, the, the topic they gave them was that they had to denounce U.S. Uh, foreign policy, okay? Um, until they have each person write a propaganda. Uh, I mean, write the article. Then, and this is where the horizontal stuff comes in. Then they had the soldiers meet in groups. So they met in groups with the articles that they had written. And they together as a group criticized each other's articles. Okay. And so, and then they went back and they wrote some more. Then they went back into the group and they wrote, you know, and they criticized each other some more. So this, the soldiers are thinking that, okay, we are, I'm simply going to win this essay to get reduced time. What they don't understand is that all this group talk about all this and about U.S. foreign policy is working propaganda against the United States through the group discussion. Okay. See, um, and that's you know that's um, the horizontal propaganda is a very interesting point. Um, I think another really good example of this that I wrote about in the article was is an example of how. Uh, when, when soldiers, I forget where it was, when soldiers were asked to go through some horrible situation together uh, and they made through an ordeal and they said, they interviewed them afterwards and they said, how did you do that? You must have been so, uh, you know, you must have been forced by your officers to do this. Uh, how did you ever do it? You know, they commending them about their obedience. Most of the soldiers said it wasn't about the authority figures. It was, I did not want to betray my comrades. Yeah, yeah. So there's yeah. your horizontal propaganda. Okay, got it. All right. And of course, then the vertical propaganda is where it's top down. And right. uh, I guess you would probably say from the elites to the to the one percent to the ninety nine percent, and uh, which is, I think, what we what we what we see most of. Uh, that's, that's really true. interesting about the horizontal propaganda. Yeah. I guess the camaraderie, the solidarity, uh, yeah. the, the so, mutual self support. So it's the group. The group. The horizontal propaganda is not created by the group. It comes top down, just like you said. But once the propaganda that's centralized gets into the group, the group circulates the propaganda 
and keeps it alive and maintains it. Interesting. This one I have, this, this next one I really have a, a hard time with. Unlike most other theorists of propaganda, Alul followed Joseph Goebbels. <laughs> Goebbels, of course, who was the propaganda minister for, for the uh, Nazis. Uh, during World War II, and said that the best propaganda is based on facts. It becomes propaganda with the interpretation of facts. Propaganda based on lies is a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. And do you agree or disagree? Because I see lots of propaganda based on lies these days, especially false flags and and things like that. Tell us your thoughts on that. Yeah, so I, I think what uh, like there's um, there's three kinds of propaganda. There's white propaganda, gray propaganda, black propaganda. Um, the white and gray propaganda, um, they usually are based on real facts that are then interpreted in a different way, which makes it propaganda. Um, usually, white and gray propaganda when when the propagandists are using white and gray, it usually means they have a great deal of control over the population. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> when they use black propaganda, it's really a, uh, where they're making up facts. It's, it's a sign of weakness, meaning they, they, aren't con they aren't controlling the masses. Okay. They aren't controlling yeah. the masses, and okay. they're, just trying, they're trying to go top down without, and they haven't rooted it in anything. So his point is that the black propaganda is really, um, it's a sign that the rulers have lost control of the population. Mm, okay, I see. Right, okay. All right, I got it. Well, then, then I would say that uh, West, the West right now must be very weak because most of the propaganda is black. Yes. Most of the propaganda is just based on lie after lie after lie after lie. You know, it's just unreal. Right. So uh, Russia, 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 China, 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 you know, Trump, Trump, Trump. You know, it's just it's just, um, you know, um, uh, I, 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 I can now see that and I and that would indicate to me that uh, the United States and its and its vassals in Europe and Australia, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Japan, South Korea, uh, North America, NATO, Israel, what the what the um, what uh, Vladimir Putin calls the golden billion uh, in, in the human population uh, must be must be quite weak right now because. Uh, there, it's just, uh, it, it's surreal. It's like, it's like a simulacrum of a reality. So, uh, yeah. and I would say that the China, most of China's propaganda is white and gray because they, they really do, they really do seek truth from facts. And, and I think they treat their people with a lot more respect and, um, uh, and, uh, respect for their intelligence and respect for their, ability to you know interpret and analyze things than than in the west where it's just almost it seems like it's just like shock value and scaring and fear and yeah uh, etc so um unlike other theorists alul makes a distinction between ideology and myth and argues that myth is more powerful now we actually discussed myth in our first in our first uh, interview uh, uh, about uh, so socialist and um, 
socialist communist psychology versus uh, capitalist psychology. What do you think? Because, you know, I would I would say that that communist, you know, socialist China would disagree where uh, since since 1949 uh, with the liberation of the country, they I mean, for them, ideology is everything. So is it is it because the, the systems are different or do you do you believe myth is more important than ideology? Of course, we try to stamp out ideology here, right. here in the West. You know, there's no class. There's no right. class war. There's no, right. you know, tell us what you think. Well, um, I think what Ilya was getting at with myth is that he's saying that, you know, there's like political myths of like, say, the origin of countries like the United States, you know, George Washington chops down the cherry tree. Um, it's, It's a story of how things start. And then you have religious myths, which are about, you know, in the West, uh, the, 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 in the United States and Western Europe, it's, it's the golden age, you know, the myth of the golden age. Um, I think what he's saying is that um, we uh, underestimate the power of those myths to control how we think about the world. Like that, those myths are more powerful than we give them credit for. Um, and so, you know, people like Carl Jung that w- would say, you know, myth is really where it's at, uh, and modern people don't understand that. Um, but I think, I think you're right that I think that socialism, even though it's you know 100 and 170 years old, um, it has a well-developed body of knowledge. Um, it has an ideology, and the ideology is like 170 years old. And I think for people, people that have be, become socialists, and especially in places like like China or or Cuba or uh, any of this, and any of the actually existing socialist countries, mm-hmm. uh, that ideology is strong, stronger than the myths because the ones that, for example believe in, uh, have become atheists, Um, the ideology is more important than the myth. So I think people that are serious socialists, even if they're not living in a socialist country, um, the ideology of socialism is, is really stronger than the myths. So I think socialism is really an exception to that. I think Elieu didn't see that because he wasn't a socialist. And, you know, it's like he probably did not think a whole lot of socialism. And he was, I don't know this, but he was probably insensitive to the power of that um, ideology to move people. Okay. All right. Well, this next one for me comes comes about as... um, as it was a bit of a shocker. And of course, he did write this in 1960. And France uh, was just, you know, liberating, it was just, you know, liberating, um, although they were still fighting, they didn't finish until 19, the, the Algerian War until 1962. And colonialism and imperialism was still was still, you know, uh, in existence. Um, and it, 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 you know, officially, and uh, but he said 
psychological propaganda in foreign countries does not work. Propagandists are too ignorant of the attitudes, centers of interest, presuppositions, and suspicions of the foreign population. I don't know about you, Bruce, but that sounds very racist and condescending to me. You know, for example, the Chinese have have had have had an official censor for over two thousand years. Uh, this is a and this position still exists today. Right now in China today, there is a, there is a there is the official censor, and uh, uh, so for two thousand years to guarantee social harmony. And these the, the, these these days, especially, prevent color revolutions of their times. So, you know, your thoughts, please, because I thought I thought that was kind of shocking. Yeah, I think this this is my fault, Jeff. What I what I I think I called it psychological propaganda, but it really is what I meant was psychological warfare. Uh... Okay. So what Ilyu was saying is that attempts. If attempts like, for example, of the United States to propagandize the German people against their rulers, that doesn't work. Okay, so like when they do these flyovers with pamphlets and things like that to try to convince the population that the rulers are are not conducting the war right or they should give up or something like that. Elu says that really does not work. And so that's, I think, different from the way you're interpreting it. And I think that's that's not your fault. I've I used the wrong word. I should have said psychological warfare. Oh, warfare. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So psychological warfare in foreign countries does not work. Okay. Right. Right. And so, right, okay. right. In the ruling classes, it's because the propagandists in their own country don't really understand the psychology and culture of the other countries. So, I mean, they, yeah. they don't they don't really. I mean, you know, to me, the propaganda, the elitist propagandists say in this country, they don't even understand their own working classes. And that's yeah. one reason why. This anti-Russia, anti-China, anti-Iran, it really doesn't work with working class people in this country. They just don't. It's like they're tuned out of that. Those people to go to another country and try to propagandize the working class population of another country is ridiculous. They're completely ignorant of it. and if they can't even do it in their own country, they're not going to do it someplace else. Right? Good point. So I'm sorry about the misspelling. I think that was confusing. Eh, don't worry about it. Uh, all of this, we've been talking about propaganda in modern times. and But it seems to me that elites, at least as far as this, uh, as far as the vertical propaganda, you know, going back to Mesopotamia, Egypt, Persia, Greece, and Rome, you know, we're doing the same thing, you know, not to mention the medieval Catholic Church. Right. And uh, I, I, remember, I, re- I read a wonderful, wonderful biography of, of Napoleon Bonaparte. He was actually a socialist to Democrat, mm. which, is, which is why they, they've tried to destroy his image. But anyway, 
with monarchical Europe declaring war on the French Revolution in 1789, Napoleon had to heavily control the media from fifth columnists and saboteurs. And a lot of people don't know that the French monarchs called in German troops to massacre 30,000 supporters of the Paris Commune in 1871. I mean, they literally filled the streets of Paris with, with blood. And they instituted a total media blackout in 1871, which mm. is still true today. No one's, no one, very few people know that it's true. Mm. <clears throat> and then later on in the 19th century, uh, you know, it, it appears that 20th century Edward Bernays, who wrote Propaganda, was very inspired by the propaganda techniques of Cecil Rhodes's 19th century founding of the Secret Society. Your thoughts on the timeline of propaganda, please. Okay, um, it's it's a very interesting question. Um, if you go back to, like, okay, so first of all, I mean, I would say, like, you know, people sometimes say, well, when did propaganda start? I mean, when did when did uh, when did it begin? Does it go all the way back to hunting and gathering societies? I don't think so. I think the place that it starts is in class societies because propaganda you've got if you take mesopotamia or you take egypt you have a tiny portion of the population that's ruling the overwhelming majority of people are peasants or slaves or slaves or slaves they don't have any power so what you so what you need is an ideology to explain how come they're up there, <laughs> those people are down here, yeah. right? And that's how, and that's how the idea, that's how the propaganda starts. I think in those societies, you have to remember that in the Bronze Ages, they they didn't use, they had picture writing, but they really did not, it wasn't like the alphabet, and they really could not use written forms of propaganda. So what they did was they did a lot of propaganda that's based on the use of space. Um, and, you know, so they'd make these huge monuments. Um, they would do things like every time the ruler would be speaking, they would make sure that the ruler was way above the population. Because if you, um, I used to do this in my classes, um, I would I would sit down and face the students straight on. I would get on the floor, so I had to look up at them, and then I would stand on the desk and look down at them, and I'd say to them, "What's the difference in my messages?" And overwhelmingly, they said, "When you were standing up, we were much more likely to listen to you, and when you were standing mm. on the desk, right?" So. So I think they used, and you know, they still use this kind of stuff. You know, like, it, you know, there's no accident that in the churches, uh, the the pastor or the priest is always above the population, looking mm-hmm. down, never at eye level, and the ceilings of the buildings are always they're always high ceilings, right? And the purpose of that is to keep make you feel small. So, mm. so a lot of spatial stuff um, during those periods of time. Um, and then and then, of course, you know, the Catholic Church was 
a master of propaganda because mm-hmm. they were they were using imagery, you know, the Stations of the Cross. I mean, they were experts and they do all sorts of things like they saturate the senses, they incense, the candle. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're creating an altered state of consciousness. I mean, the Catholic Church is, it, to me, is like, I don't know, the master, but right up there when it comes to propaganda because they really know how to move people. Mm-hmm. And they're able to do it for the most part without writing, you know, because it was the Protestants that made a big thing out of writing and reading, writing mm-hmm. the Bible. The Catholics didn't have that. So they, for at least until the 17th century, and so they had to rely on imagery. So, um, you know, the, the history of propaganda is is sort of a movement from like manipulating space manipulating images and then later on after the printing press then it becomes more literary and it becomes Mm -hmm. stuff in writing right yeah well living here living living here in catholic france uh, i must say even though i even though um i am um uh, an atheist uh, by uh, by uh, you know I mean that's that's, that's who I am but I, I, there's nothing more spectacular than a Catholic Catholic service I mean it's just the mass is just it's so beautiful and it's so yeah. moving yeah and it's so, it's just spectacular I mean I I could just sit there sit there in, in a Catholic mass and just and just soak it all up because it's just so amazing. Yeah, I you know in fact Barbara I was raised Catholic so I went to um, Okay. I went to the masses but I also went to the Catholic schools. Uh, Barbara was raised with a Christian uh as a Christian science background and what's really funny is she tells a story of how she and her friend Linny Linny was Catholic and Linny took her to a Catholic mass. And Barbara had the same reaction as you did. She thought, this is so cool, all these pictures, all this standing and moving and kneeling. And I said to her, that's fine on Sundays, but when you go to school, (laughs) you go to Catholic school, you get get hit, you get all sorts of stuff. I mean, and there's a whole dark side to it. The the family values, movie rated, you know, movie, Family approved movie rating of the Catholic Church. I got the real thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, I guess what you know, uh, even though I'm an atheist, I'm actually a, a very deeply spiritual person. So yeah. I, I think I think that's why you know it, it's so powerful for me when I go see yeah. a, a Catholic yeah. mass because I am spiritual and and uh, yeah. and uh, the 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 whole the whole thing is an extremely spiritual experience so yep. um yeah well bruce before we before we sign off this has been wonderful what are you working on now are you doing are you are you writing another book are you enjoying your 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 retirement are you going to keep writing some articles for the greenville post thank you for asking um i i i don't you retiring is not in my vocabulary i'm always i'll always be working um I'm continuing to write articles for our website. I, I've just come out with a new book. Um, it's called um, The Magical Enchantment of Materialism. 
And the subtitle is Why Marxists Need Neo-Pagans. <laughs> okay. so, That's original. Yeah, yeah. And so what I'm trying to do is, uh, in a nutshell, what I'm trying to do is to say um, there's a, there's, neo-pagans are very good at creating meaningful rituals um, that are not like the religious rituals of the the the, mm. the mass of the monotheists they're really non-reified rituals and my point is i think socialism really needs some light at least in the united mm. states needs the liveliness of rituals in their um in their gatherings and so my book is about about why that needs to happen yeah, that we actually discussed that in the, in our in our first interview mm. about the, about the needs for myths and right. and and rituals and well, right. like the Catholic Church. That's right. That's right. <laughs> they are so powerful and so moving. So uh, so you just came out with a new book. Will that be in the, on the link for the Amazon when I yep. have that? When I give the people the link. So you actually have five books out now. Yes, man, yes. you're amazing. Amazing. Thank you. Well, listen, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, Bruce Lero, uh, and, uh, uh, who teaches uh, uh, psychology, I, uh, professor of psychology. He's a, he, and, from, and he, a socialist communist. So it's a, it's a different perspective and it's fascinating. And if uh, I, th I think it was like 25 or 30,000 people <laughs> accessed our, our, our first interview, I can tell you it's 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 worth looking into, and I'll leave that link uh, f, uh, as a right. as a uh, as a precursor for those who ha who have not uh, had a chance to uh, watch it or uh, read it. And I'll put everything else here. You can get in, in contact with him uh, on his website, socialistplanningbeyondcapitalism.org. And I hope maybe your numbers have picked up a little bit uh, since uh, since we've had our since we've had our. Um, since we had our last interview. And yeah. so um, thank you so much. And uh, I'll get this out to you and you can promote it. Thank you. And Jeff, where, uh, how long would it be before you send me the, the link to the actual interview we've just done? Well, uh, now I'm doing, I, I've, I'm working with an editor uh, and I'm now, I have now committed after too many years, I will not put out the, uh, audio visual without the transcript so the first so the first thing i do is is my editor does um uh the rough you know I, I i transcribe it you know with artificial intelligence uh and it transcribes it into you know in text and then he does a really really good job of getting 90 percent of of it correct and then i have to go back in and uh, <sighs> and do a final polish and then once that done then i can go back and then i do the audio and visual so i would say it's probably going to be uh and i have uh, um I've, I've got a, uh, this thing on my head this little cancer here i'm getting it cut out um uh, on the ninth so it'll, it'll be it'll be probably you know two or three days uh, before it's finally okay. ready i'll let you know okay that sounds great jeff all right yes thank you so much Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. It's always fun to talk to you. A, a nice, you so a, a nice Buddhist, Taoist, Confucian bow, and uh, 
Wishing you and Barbara the best. Thank you so much, Jeff. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye.